Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. All right, folks, welcome to another episode of the Made for Agriculture podcast. My name is Adam Jones. And I'm Cameron Horine. And he's back. So we got a hot straight and normal episode today. We're going to try to go into, even though it's not quite postseason, um, we had a chance to catch up with some of our regional or district agronomist type folks. Took that chance to, to grab them and huddle them around the microphone. So ho- hopefully we can get through kind of a, a season recap for 2022. We did this uh, kind of right before everybody was planting the spring. And so I think I think it'd be good to do a little post-game evaluation on this one. So as everybody else listening doesn't know who's in the room, why don't you guys go around and introduce yourselves. You've all been on the podcast before. Um, so fairly familiar voices, but um, Shannon, you want to start? Yeah, so I'm, I'm Shannon McClintock, staff agronomist for Retail South, cover the, the Kansas side and then western and the southwestern corner of Missouri. Scott Wilburn, I'm staff agronomist from St. Louis to Kansas City through the central region. I'm Jesse Surface, I'm the district agronomist for uh, southeast Missouri and northeast Arkansas. I about forgot where I worked at. <laughs> <laughs> I think we could have, we would have inferenced probably from your voice where people would have picked up on it, Jesse. We'll, we'll just go with that. So, <laughs> uh, so going into this year, I know uh, we had a really wet spring in in most cases. Uh, we were actually fairly delayed from a, a a planting scenario compared to normal, right? I know we were running behind for for most of the spring. That kind of had everybody concerned dealing with kind of <clears throat> sub ideal field conditions through planting and all that. Um, for a lot of regions in the state, uh, unless unless you were in one of those garden spots. The ranges basically kind of quit on us uh, about the same point that we were all complaining that it was all it was way too wet and muddy this spring. So kind of how have you guys seen that play out through your regions and, and any implications or things you picked on picked up on from that? Yeah, so kind of like you described, we had that, that, that exact scenario um, where we were super wet when corn was being planted, um, cooler than normal. Really had to, we had a long extended planting period, it seemed like. It was kind of a struggle. Some some guys were struggling to get corn up. Um, some kind of hit it just right. We had perfect stands. And then as we got closer to the rains cutting off, um, we also ran into issues getting stands on that on that uh, on that end of the, the deal too. But I would say up till about May June time frame, uh, you know we had we had some good looking corn. Most places had decent stands and were really shaping up what we thought we were gonna, was going to be a really good year. Of course, we had kind of a Less than average wheat wheat year. Um, we had some, we look back into the fall, we had some warmer weather in the fall that I don't think a lot of guys were paying attention on, on barley yellow dwarfs. We had some aphids come in late that really hurt our, hurt our uh, wheat yields. But we, 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 I think we side dressed just as much, if not more than, than what we normally do. Um, and then as the season just continued to go on, it just got drier and drier and drier. And, you know, it's kind of a mood point at this point. Um, but a lot of corn got chopped for silage that wasn't being planned for chopping. Um, you get up nor- the northern part of my territory, you know, that Rich Hill up to Adrian, they, they're actually going to make out with a pretty decent year. I, I wouldn't say it's a, it's not a home run by any means, but they're in a lot better shape than, than the guys in the south. Scott, what do you see out of that? Pretty variable across the whole uh, region, um, similar in some ways to what Shannon described. Um, Generally, the rains have just been really spotty throughout 
the uh, the entire season, even up until the last you know the week last week or so. Um, but generally speaking, I would say to the the western part of the of the central region um, is where we got in the field first, and and really ended up with uh, some some decent conditions, um, good stands, got things off and growing uh, like you want to. Um, and then as you, as you moved further, further East, they were just, you know, farther and farther behind. Um, you know, I, I live around Mexico and, um, over in Aldrin County, especially, uh, you know, and even there within Aldrin County, there was a difference, you know, as to which side you were on, but, you know, Eastern Aldrin County around that Vandalia area, uh, they were planting corn when, you know, around Lexington, Odessa, we had corn that, boy, I, I was almost knee high. Um, so we just, just a real variation there. And, uh, you know, basically everything else kind of, kind of followed the same way. So we were, as, as we went through and started hitting the heat, we were in, in, uh, different situation with all those different crop stages. And, but, uh, yeah, very, very variable. Um, even within, obviously across the large ge geography, but even as you kind of zoom in on that, um, around each one of those little micro geographies, there's a lot of, a lot of variability. Jesse, what'd you see in the boot heel? I know you guys were really dry. It seemed like early on. Yeah, just like everybody else, April was wet. And matter of fact, we were wet, but we had some times where ground conditions were correct. But you go look at the extended forecast, and it was going to be 60 for a couple of days. Planting conditions were perfect in my eyes, but when you looked, it was going to drop down in the 30s and rain. So majority of guys held off. Some guys forced it. And, of course, we're a little bit further along with harvest as far as grain harvest. And, like, you can really tell all that April planted corn is either one extreme or the other. But you roll into the May time frame when majority of guys, everybody could go and run hard. It's slowing out. It's off probably 15, 20 bushel of what it has been. But overall, it's, it's all right. Of course, we got a lot of irrigation, so we make up a lot of stuff there. Really, I mean, all the good planting windows happened in May, and it happened in about three weeks. It's just, I'm, I'm shocked every year of how many acres we can cover in a short amount of time anymore. I remember talking to you. It's, I can't remember why why I had called you, but but I, I remember you talking about how they were planting those corn, soybeans. What, what all were you, I mean, all at one time. Oh, we were planting everything. Peanut. Corn, soybeans, rice, and cotton, and peanuts. Potatoes? Well, well potatoes they, come early. That was earlier. Okay. Yeah. But we were planting five different crops all at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And it's really it's not but, usually that way. No, no. Usually we get our corn in and some early beans, and then we'll swap to cotton and some peanuts, uh, and just kind of finish off. But in general, once May got started, we had a good run. But it seemed like it went from too wet to too dry in a matter of about ten days, and then we just struggled. We had a lot of good stands, but that later planted May time frame, we had a lot of replants. Just stuff would germinate and dry out from underneath it, and it just die off and. We started getting spotty rains in about June, into June, and guys tried to come back in and replant, and it'd do the same thing. It'd be 110, wind be blowing, and we just fought it. But towards the end of the season, like late July, 1st of August, we started getting some rains. I mean, some of it, some of that corn was a little too late. It helped, don't get me wrong, but it was a little too late. But a lot of our beans shaped up to look pretty good with them later rains. Yeah. So some of those sins of spring, did you guys, anybody see any, you, you mentioned it a little bit there, Jesse, but, um, any of anybody else, or do you have any other comments on seeing some of that kind of stuff through the growing season? I think so. I've seen it all year, but growers, 
I mean, and I understand some of these guys have to get started, but yep. as far as from a consultant agronomy standpoint, I don't like it. But they did, and like they can, they can tell they're not going to admit it. But sure. you can tell their disappointment, especially once they got into that May time frame corn, and it was twenty thirty bushel better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and so we obviously with the the drought, we didn't see nearly as many fungicide applications as we normally would on corn. But the guys, the guys who had to leave their corn because there's still there, there's still enough there. They really have a place to go with silage, so they kept it. Um, stock rots uh, really started moving in and really started wiping out stands uh, even before we got to harvest. So, you know, some of that, sometimes the fungicide can help with those stock rots, but a lot of those stock rots start from the planter and plant in the right conditions and making sure, you know, we have that good seed of soil contact. It's not too wet, not too cool when we're planting. Um, and we definitely, we definitely saw those stock rots late season. And just to kind of hit a little bit more on fungicides, that's one thing I try to stress to guys is we don't know what the next month of year uh, growing season looks like. So I made some tough decisions this year. Some of them right, some of them wrong on what to do, but I highly encourage always doing a fungicide because you just never know what may happen. Sure. I mean, that was on my list of stuff to kind of discuss was, um, were some of those additions that, you know, we didn't have a lot of disease pressure. I mean, were you guys seeing a lot of disease pressure through kind of the hot and dry time frame or not? So I don't think there was early season. We had a lot of gray leaf spot um, move in. Um, there was a fair amount of gray leaf spot, a little bit of northern because it was you know it was cool and wetter than what we're normally used to seeing. But then as the season progressed, I mean the drought took over and we didn't. I know the southern rust skipped our part of the world and they went up. I think St. Joe was the, actually the first reported county that had southern rust. No, I agree with Shannon. We had some stuff early, but once it got hot and dry in the corner, it started taking off. Didn't see much. We could always always find got like the gray leaf and northern and all that. We we could find it, but as far as it really taking off, um, we were just always it seemed like dry enough to to keep it from being a major problem through the central region. Now, like Tyler Busker that runs from Clark up to uh, Lancaster, up sixty three, uh, you know, just right where they started getting rains, um, you know, around that Macon area, they they started picking up some rains, and you know. He would talk about in the northern part of his territory, seeing quite a bit of disease progression up into the plant. But then it, when he came back down, you know, around that, like I say, Clark, Moberly, that that area um, fell off pretty quick. So it obviously it moved with the with where they were getting the moisture. Sure, sure. And we were staying fairly warm in the evenings too through through most of that, and it just it was there and, and ready to go. But we just. Seemed like did not get the conditions like we had last couple of years to have it blow up. Right. Yeah, you kind of touched on it, Jess. You guys have any other thoughts on the fungicide thing? I mean, we've got so many inoculum that seem to just always be out there anymore um, that it still makes sense. And I'm sure it still made sense mostly this year. But any other thoughts on some of that fungicide stuff on dry year? Yeah, I was just going to say that I feel like overall we still had quite a big use of fungicides even with you know with it i think more than anything you know i think our guys have we've done a good job about pushing the plant health aspect of fungicides as well it seems like just you know we talk about fungicides from disease disease control perspective all the time but with that plant health piece i think we've really have guys have been able to latch onto that and understand there is enough that added value to it too and so i think that's why a lot of guys even though they knew it was projections were showing it was dry southern rust you know in a lot of our territory may not be as bad as it has in the past because the drought 
you know, guys were still willing to go from that because they knew that they were getting that added benefit from having a fun site application. Yeah, I was shocked the guys that were asking that exact question, is it worth it for the plant health part? So okay. we've been doing a good job of educating our growers on how it works. Well, and I think it's there's there's part of it too that if you need to make that pivot last second, it's hard that's harder to do, right? You know, the planes are all tied up, the product's all tied up. If all of a sudden you decide you're not going to apply and you get four rains in a row and something pops up in the field, it's it's kind of hard to make that audible. It, well, it's, it's something popping up, but also if you just get a rain finally that changes your attitude towards absolutely. applying that fungicide, you missed your window. That's yeah. Oh, yeah, and then so you, end you, up, may have, you may possibly have missed the window. Yeah, yeah. You've already had a loss there, and then you're trying sure. to do yeah. something. And that's kind of what I was shooting at. If you're managing disease, yeah. you've got a wide window. Disease is there, you spray it, you manage the disease. If you're trying to, what well, we have kind of year in, year year out established as the best practices for, for the plant health piece, and that's, you know, that's including the trend B and everything else. There's a window for that. And, you know, it's pretty early in the, in the reproductive stage. And, you know, if disease pops up three weeks later, you bet, go in there and get it. But if you're if you're really targeting trying to get the the health and and, and yield, I mean that's when you that's when sure. you need to do it. And I I would say that that just says you know we again we've done a good job about educating our guys. It comes with the same as the weed control, right? We try to kill seeds, not weeds, right? And so it's the same thing with not being on the defensive for diseases necessarily, and just waiting till they pop up and then trying to figure you know go out and get it. We knew that there wasn't disease pressure there, but we were being proactive and still just going ahead and making those applications to protect ourselves from that, but also getting that benefit of the plant disease. I mean, that's that's what I noticed. Yeah, I mean, we were in a little bit different scenario just because we were so much, our drought started earlier. It was right. much more prolonged than what you guys were seeing. Um, and we were in an environment where, I think, Jesse, you said your yields were only 15, 20 bushel off of normal. Ours was 100, 120 bushel off from normal. So we knew pretty early that we were not going to be putting fungicides on. Um, the, the leaves were just rolling during the day. They were staying rolled up all night because it wasn't cooling off. But one thing that really stuck out to me this year, uh, kind of lead, probably going to lead in your next topic, is base fertility. Um, the fields the fields that had a good sound fertility program for the last few years, you know, that have been in our NutriTrack program that we've sampled and make sure we're taken care of, those fields, it, it's kind of a delayed response to the, to the drought. Um, they were able to the early stages navigate it. Um, the fields that you know were maybe not so sound on their on their uh, fertility program, they were some of the first to show the show signs of drought. Um, and that, that I think that plays a key role in how we look at starting the season. Where do we need to invest our money into? And uh, kind of what we've talked about for years, and that's that's that base fertility piece. Before we switch gears here, I was talking to a couple older growers that were talk about referred to the drought in twelve. Mm-hmm. And we were just talking, and I'm like, "What was the difference?" Because like I was, I hired hand for a guy, but I was still in college, and like I remember it. And I mean, a lot of hill corn was only making 40, 50 bushel. And he's like, "The big deal between this year and that year is it hurt us both, but this year we were so late planted that it hurt our stands, but we got that late rains to make up for it." We're in 2012, we were early planted, yeah. kind of situation Shannon was in, and then it turned off dry. And it just, just hammered. Yeah. And, and early. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was. We were planted early and got dry early. I mean, tail into May, it was already showing signs. I mean, oh, yeah. we, we were scouting corn. So, you know, we'll plant corn early part. I mean, doesn't seem like we do it as much anymore, but 
you know, the early to mid-May is, was, was always kind of the starting point. And we were scouting corn by the tail end of March that year. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything was so early. Wheat, wheat was joined. Wheat normally is jointed for us, you know, the 10th, 15th of April, probably. There was wheat jointed around the 20th of March that year. So everything was early. But then it turned off. You said you were talking to older growers. I guess I'm the... Well, I wasn't going to say nothing. Oh. I said you want to bring it up. <laughs> yeah. you know, it, seems, it seems like it was three years ago. The one that I remember, this is a funny thing. I live in town. I'm out in the country all day, but I live in town. And I've, I've got, you know, the neighbor across the street that just has the impeccable lawn and everything. And about the 20th of May, he was pulling the sprinklers out. And I just remember thinking, oh, man. Because yeah. it, it was already kind of looking that way. And, and, it oh, just, yeah. and it just never let off. And stayed hot every night. Yeah, yeah, that was the most March corn I think I'd ever seen planted, like, especially in North Missouri. I mean, we're usually not, like this year, I mean, nobody was even thinking about it. I mean, you just take March to March, and it just doesn't make any sense that we could have had that much crop in the ground. But there was that year. And, um, yeah, heck, without that hurricane, I'm still not sure it would have ever rained in 2012. (laughs) So, yeah, I think it was a a, kind of a different animal. I forgot about the hurricane. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think we ended up like four inches out of when it finally, and, I mean, that was the first rain, decent rain you'd had since May. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was definitely interesting. I I think, and I definitely want to get to your, kind of your fertility. Did you guys see anything like that and some of that? You know, I know, Scott, you had some crop, and especially in the, kind of some of that western area over there, it was fairly drought-stressed. Did you guys see any fertility issues? I guess this is somewhat down the lines of, you know, some of the planter stuff, too, or the, you know, ground conditions of planting. But um, I, got, I got called a lot this year about, you know, when, when you got to the field and looked at the issue, it ended up being potassium deficiency, uh-huh. usually in, in beans. Right. Which, you know, the I always say the drought – you know, dry conditions, tough conditions don't cause that. They, they typically reveal it. Correct. Um, which, you know, following up with soil sampling and everything, I think that was the case, you know, this year too. Yeah. But uh, I don't know if that's a, you know, it may have been a function not only of, of the weather, but, you know, maybe just backing off the last year or two. But but a lot of times those are, those aren't, those situations aren't created in it. Any year. Yeah. No, no, yeah. no. Like yeah, you're... so that that would probably be the main one. I main one I saw. Yeah. Um, well, the potassium thing makes. I mean, that makes sense. It's just that's when it's going to show its head. Yeah, it's the worst on a yeah. on a dry year like that. I I think I feel like we even saw it in corn. Oh yeah. So it, it, oh yeah. We it, we had a lot of corn potassium deficiency. Yeah, you just have it doesn't. You know, it doesn't broadcast it. As so it don't stick out from yeah, the road. Yeah, stick out from the road. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like you got to get out there and look at it. You bet it's there. Yeah. It's there, and it's and it's one. I mean, a lot of it's where you really have to. It, it can be, you know, you it's dry, so you well, yeah, the corn's firing, but it's but it's different, you know. It's it's right. instead of up the midrib, it's kind of more on the edges, and and if you're seeing it beyond the first row or so, you, you've got an issue. Well, you you mentioned that you're right. That's not it's not created in a vacuum. It it doesn't happen in a vacuum. However, some of these we'll say lack of corn bean oscillations, right, Cameron? Yeah. Uh, where it's just a bean bean non-oscillation. I feel like we're seeing some of the, <laughs> some of that is where it, some of that is coming from as well. I mean, as input prices with corn, a lot of other things that are kind of external production happen to the, to the marketplace. I feel like you can exacerbate some of those potassium deficiencies by, you know, some of those fields may very well have been on their fourth year of soybeans. So, you use the big fancy word there. You're meaning crop rotation, right? Like the rotation, corn beans versus beans, beans. Yes. Okay. 
I started saying, I looked at Jesse, and Jesse's like, what, is, what did he just After say? After I thought about it, I figured it out when he kept talking. Yeah. I mean, oscillating? Yeah. 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 You know, like, just did some rotation like a normal yeah. person would. Yeah. yeah. That's those, that's those <laughs> conservation, yeah, guru so, guys. Right. I mean, he's talking to a dumb Delta boy, so no, don't use them big words. In the, so, yeah, it's, it's an inside joke because from a soil health perspective, everybody always jokes about uh, corn beans being a rotation. And uh, if you look up an actual crop rotation would include three to four crops in, in there. And so if you're just growing corn and soybeans, I like to call it an oscillation because you're just one, going one direction or the other, not actually rotating. What if you're growing three crops in, in two, two years? years. That, that would, I would consider a crop rotation. <laughs> also, if you're adding cover crops, that, that oh, makes, here we go. That, that makes <laughs> crop rotation as well. This is way off topic. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just I feel like some of the you know the bean on bean stuff is is catching up. On well, us. we we've talked about it over and over again. A lot of these guys don't realize how much they're taking off. And yeah, five years ago we wasn't taking consistently sixty bushel beans off, seventy bushel beans off every year. Right. Well, right. going into this fall with the high input costs, I mean a lot of guys were basically strictly going off removal of last year, right? And not putting a build or trying you're not staying up basically. And uh, I think they're starting to reveal themselves a little earlier than I expected. Which there's a lot of farmers that had decent fertility programs maybe their base fertility wasn't there and it just rebuilt itself this year because we were so dry yeah yeah um switching gears well not really switching gears but with the dry weather um i feel like we saw a lot of weed control issues especially understatement. during <laughs> especially during application season some of those you can drive up and down the highway and still see thoughts from the group like what was working what was not working why or kind of some of the major issues that you guys were seeing we all want to start, I guess, is a better question. Yeah. Somebody has to. I mean, we we saw some early on, but, I mean, we didn't have enough moisture to even get weeds to grow. So, beans actually look pretty clean just because they haven't well, had anything for them to grow. You say that, but I did notice that this year. A lot of times, yeah. like, it was just the beans were up big enough and had a root deep enough. that The corn seemed to be the biggest struggle on that post, that post application, which we were still getting rain at that point. So, we had cloudy days. It was cooler than normal still. You know, were we actually getting in there with a good rain fast, given that, that herbicide enough time? I think that was some of our bigger issues. And I know Scott's probably going to take the next 20 minutes discuss, discussing this because he spent a lot of time on this this summer. I'm not now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just, we'll keep talking. Just, but no, my bigger struggle was just beans and rice, just because when we were done and it was so hot and so dry. Right. And we tried everything, and it just, the fact of it was, when it's that hot, plants aren't taking it in. We wasn't getting no residual activated, so everything was getting bigger than what we wanted. Mm-hmm. And something we don't know talk about, everything got planted at the same time frame. Well, it all needed to be sprayed at the same time. Well, a lot of these smaller guys, they got their own planter, but they don't have their own sprayer, so they were relying on location, and we just, we were doing the best we could, but we couldn't get timely of it. So what started out to be three-inch weed was pushing six, eight inches. Sure. And it just, it was... It was a struggle, and we, from swapping oils to adding stuff to it, and like, and the th- thing was, some days it was hot, it was dry, they did work, and then two days later you go do it, and don't even look like you touched them. Absolutely, yeah. We saw I don't know how deep we want to go into this, but man, it was yeah, just. I think you hit it on the head, Jesse. It's, every day was different, and it you could run the same program three days in a row, and you could get different three results. Different, yeah, you could get three different results just because if there was a cloud in the sky that day or, you know, maybe not even any difference at no. all. And it just, 
the way the weeds took up that herbicide or I don't know. Well, one thing we saw, like Liberty, for instance, it requires a lot of humidity. Yeah. And we had a dry summer. And it was There was dry air and we didn't have much humidity. And that was a big reason why Liberty wasn't working like it normally does. Yeah. I mean, on the soybeans, I guess on the positive side, the, the one that, that seemed halfway, you know, nothing's bulletproof, but probably was the most consistent was one we ran out with, with Enlist and Liberty. Um, Liberty by itself had issues, and Liberty's always had issues. Uh, sure. It, you know, it's, I mean, even when it was just a corn herbicide 20 plus years ago, I mean, we noticed right away it could be fickle. And even... Not necessarily the way that, you know, we, we always said, you know, hot, nice hot day, not a cloud in the sky. There's days that it fails on that day and, and it works well on the day you thought you shouldn't have been spraying it. So it's just, it, it's fickle. Um, in List, we, we ran into some issues with it by itself. Um, when you put them together and, you know, it's obviously a little pricier program, but that seemed to work about as well as anything. Um, even had a few issues with Extend this year. Um Big one, I think Jesse touched on this, and this was, I guess, personally kind of frustrating to me. I, I think, I think guys are really trying to do it right in a lot of cases, and and, and have got the message about residuals, and and so they do that, and they line that application up, and they get it laid down, and then they don't get rain. Mm-hmm. You know, they or you know they just don't get that rain that they need to activate it. That's frustrating. A lot of times, I think we still did get something out of that out of that application when it finally did rain. But, but in the meantime, you know, you had, I mean, you, you know, because you could group 15s that kind of show themselves in the beans. You see the, sure. the symptoms. You're like, okay, well, it activated. We still obviously have chemistry there. But in the meantime, you already have flush of weeds work. Right. You know, so it, it's, it's, uh, that was probably one of the more frustrating ones to me. Um, that's on, on the, on the bean side. Corn, real overall, um, across the whole region, I don't know that. Had major issues, but in pockets, we're, we're concerned uh, that we're starting to miss some water hemp with HPPD chemistry over the top. Um, in fact, I gathered seed here a couple of weeks ago, and um, it's going to be growing out in the greenhouse this uh, winter and kind of officially, you know, looked at. Um, some of those cases, it, it may have been uh, the conditions. In others, everything... Seemed like it had been done right. Then it was posted again with everything done right, and we missed it. Still didn't get it. Um, yeah. So that's, yeah, uh, could still be something else. I mean, I know we've our HPPD resistance has been confirmed um, in the state in, in areas. Um, that one in particular is a little scary because even when we talk about these train wrecks in, in beans, we've generally been able to come back the next year. Um, I was going to say when we rotate to corn, but when we oscillate to corn. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, right. and, and clean that stuff up. Yeah. And no, you're, so that's, that's, that's what we rely on. For yeah, sure. yeah. For, yeah. Way under 20 minutes, Shannon. I think. <laughs> I'll only put you on the spot. Point taken. I think, uh, <laughs> I think part of it was too, that just our delayed and drawn out on the corn anyway. I know this is something I struggled with the delayed and drawn out planting season. You know, you, you could never like plant everything at the same time. And so you could plant all your herbicide applications kind of the way you wanted it to, you know, you either had to do a little extra that you wasn't going to get planted right away. And then you got a flush of weeds and same thing on the soybeans. It seemed like they were just, and still honestly to, to this day over North Missouri, I would say are, are short, I feel like. And it felt, I felt like even on 15 inch spacings, it took forever to canopy the, I mean, corn or beans that's still what we're looking for we can have this chemistry discussion all day 
But without crop canopy, you'd never do it. And, or you'd never do it successfully over a long period of time. And um, so I felt like kind of that, that race to get to crop canopy took forever, you know, as for the landscape as a whole this, this year, I think, which, which just kind of drew out some of those issues as well. You know, I know I had that issue, had a bunch of corn chemistry put down that I thought was going to plant, you know, 12 hours from when the rigs braided it and it ended up being 14 days because we caught two rains in there or whatever, you know, th- those kind of things are, are hard to manage around, I guess, if you will. You put a lot of pressure on the product at that point. Well, and we're saying, you know, regardless of, of how the results come back on, for example, this water hemp, we're, we're having checked for group 27s. We can tell that it's changed. Yeah. You know, when, when those products first came out, you know, and this is below, you know, what they want you to use, but you could run out with two ounces of, of Callisto and, and kill pretty tall water hemp. And, uh, it's just, so whether or not it's true, these are, these populations are truly resistant. They're definitely shown to be harder to kill. And I don't know, we just, we just gotta be on top of this stuff as much as possible. Starting to finally hear some rumblings about new chemistry coming out. I'm seeing that's, you know, but, but, but any of them, I mean, the nearest you're looking at, it's, it's always that eight, nine, 10 year. Yeah. Yeah, I was yeah, gonna say so you're hearing about it in the now. in the pipeline, maybe, but I don't. Yeah, I don't know how long the the pipeline actually takes to deliver something like that, but yeah. quite a while, I will say. Um, you go ahead, Shannon. Yeah, I guess before we move on to the next topic, one thing I talking about herbicide. I think this is a good time to talk about this. I don't think this is going to impact Jesse or uh, or uh, Scott's area nearly as much as mine, but some of these herbicides, especially on corn where we're following up with wheat, um, a lot of those herbicides, we had those post applications June. Um, and a lot of those applications included <clears throat> atrazine, um, dual Callisto. And so looking looking forward into our next crop, looking at possibly wheat this fall, maybe even cover crops. Um, those atrazine specifically has been one that we've kind of ignored the label on, on our plant back. Um, the label for wheat is the following spring. And I, I, I know everyone who has uh, wheat in the rotation also has atrazine in the rotation with their corn. So going going into this fall, I think a big thing a lot of guys need to be looking at is doing a soil bioassay, going out and either drilling some wheat and see what happens um, in a s- small spot of the field in like areas that maybe had an overlap um, or digging up some and bringing it inside and just letting it grow. Sometimes that takes two to three weeks to, f- to see the results because there's some herbicides that wheat will come up through. So we want to get the wheat up let it set for two or three weeks, see how it grows from there then before we make that decision. And I, I'm sure you can talk more on cover crops, but I know a lot of labels out there for cover crops, they're not, they're not listed specifically. Right. Um, and they're more restrictive, but that's in my mind, that's something back in my mind looking at this fall that I'm worried about. I do have one pocket that we're going to do. Like you said, he's going to get it all worked up after he gets corn out. We're just going to go plant a strip across it and see what happens. Yeah. I think planting a strip would be better off than, than trying to dig soil up because when you dig a soil and you plant seeds in it, that's just that one specific spot. Right. If you can get a drill and you just make a pass or something, you're going to get a much better representation. And of the just, just make sure you leave, like you said, enough time. If you yep. want to plant first, second week of October, make sure you're out there. Well, now, uh, now yep. you're trying to say you got time to see what you got. Yeah. But I think, I think that's a good point to bring up on the wheat, but also when we think about going into next year too, because we've had, you know, we've dropped, we dried out. 
And so we think about some of our residual there herbicides be, that we... Especially some of this extra stuff we've done. There's a potential. Right. Some of the, you know, trying to help clean, you know, there's going out trying to clean up fields because we thought, hey, you know, femesophen, some of these other long-lasting res residual products, if we don't if we don't start catching some rains and have kind of a wet winter, we may have to be concerned about these going into the next spring and thinking about, you know... What are we going to do? What are we going to do from that aspect? Yep. Um, from that, so I mean, that's something that we definitely have to be paying attention to as we go into next year, thinking about rotation and our cropping plans for that aspect as well. Yeah, a lot of that's still to be determined too with the amount of rain right. we get. Uh, so we, yeah, could really, we, can, we could have a really wet winter and yeah. replenish the soil profile, and everything would be great. Or In we general, we normally do, so don't normal. bank on it, but yeah, hopefully. Right. It seems to be the trend of late, anyway, yeah. for sure. Yeah, you mentioned cover crops. I think, um, you know, typically your cereal grains are the um, kind of the least um, affected by residual chemistry. Um, but some of the other things that folks will tend to want to, especially with price volatility, um, a lot of people have wanted to try to incorporate legumes and things like that into cover crop mixes. Those are typically very expensive seeds to put out there. And also, uh, you know, kind of the most... <laughs> the most susceptible to residual chemistry. And so uh, just be careful in, in some of those additions. You want to, you know, throw a quite a few dollars an acre worth of crimson clover seed or something out there and it all yeah, germinates and dies uh, from, from carryover chemistry. So something to think about for sure. I think the next thing I wanted to kind of dive off into was, which it all kind of lines up. And as far as looking kind of, forward a little bit to next year and, and you can retrospect on a little bit of this too, but kind of going into the year, there was all this talk of supply and price and volatility and all that kind of stuff. Um, I feel like a lot of that is, is still in the kind of the forefront of everybody's mind. What changes did you guys see or if any folks make this year that kind of relates to some of that? And then um, are you seeing that as you're working through plans for 2023? The one thing I will say is that I feel like margins are going to be tighter in 2023 unless we see some major commodity price changes. Um, and so I'm just wondering uh, what you guys are kind of seeing out on the on the landscape as far as um, plans to work through that for next year. Well, I don't know about you two, but man, there's been a lot of chemical bought already for next year. Yep just across the board, whatever they can get their hands on. And I just made a quick loop. At first, we thought we were going to have a lot of issues in Southeast Missouri, Northeast Arkansas, and all of a sudden, a lot of the stuff we'd been using just started showing up. Getting a call from reps, say, hey, we got this. Do you want it? Well, yeah, we want it. Send it to us. Mm -hmm. It scared a lot of guys early, and they bought early, and no reason from us. It's just the way it worked out. And But it's hanging in a lot of drawers. Mine, like, hey, if I can have it in my shop and have it sitting here, and I think everybody kind of sees the writing on the wall that all this stuff is going to go up again. So they can get their hands on it. Well, I think that's just, that's just a lot of us in general right now. Yeah. You know, I'm walking through Walmart and I noticed, oh, the oil and the filter that I need to change one Fix of the vehicles. Jeep? No. <laughs> that's, that's every March whether it needs it or not. <laughs> no, you're just, you know, like, yeah, I don't need to change the oil in that thing for a month and a half. But, boy, they have it today. Yeah. You know, and you don't even look. You just you grab it and you put it in the cart. Yeah, and we, we saw the same trend as you, Jesse, um, going into the tail end of 21, into the, the start of this year. I know I, I think we as MFA, uh, Jordan and his team, Krista Moss and his team did a fantastic job getting the sales staff prepared 
to go out to the go out to growers and and get them to book or, early um, and get supply. And I I don't know if it changed the mindset, but we are definitely seeing already guys wanting stuff in their warehouse just so they can have it. You know, you can kind of take the uncertainty about what it's going to take to raise a crop next year, which you have to receive if you have it sitting your shed and paid for. I think it's easier to figure your input costs if you got it sitting on your floor. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's Make just, decisions. It's a peace of mind thing, right? Yeah, because you already know you have it. So yep. well, you don't know what you don't know what spring's going to bring. You know, I mean, you just you look at the global situation. You look at you know what kind of winter are we going to have? What kind of winter is Europe going to have? Mm-hmm. You know, and and it's just a, yeah. not only affecting the supply. You know, just moving things around, but just getting things manufactured. How much how much gas is you know going to be allotted for this particular process or yeah well i think one of the big things that i you know i feel like we've been talking about high fertility prices for a really long time but there's a lot of six or seven hundred dollar or cheaper anhydrous put on last fall uh for this 22 crop and what is corn 660 right now almost i mean that that pencils right um there's no six hundred dollar anhydrous left in the system for 2023 and um, I mean, sure, the futures market is still pretty decent, but my point with that is that I, you know, I feel like you have sharpen your pencil uh, moving into next year somewhat more than than needed to happen for this year, especially for those guys that had stuff pre-bought and pre-booked for you know for twenty two. I guess my my thought was kind of, are you seeing anybody making any major changes over, or did you see any changes going into twenty two as far as you know? having to be on the fly. I, I know as well, a I mean, whole, Jesse's talking about chemistry already being bought this yeah. year. I don't know. A lot of fertilizer, a lot of gas yeah. Yeah, already bought this year. Yeah. I mean, it just want to know that you have it. Want to... I think the specific chemistry that our guys are talking about is insecticide and fungicide. I mean, we didn't use them this year, but we ran on we on Mirabasais. I mean, we just, it, it didn't show up at the right time. They had it in supply, but it didn't get to our warehouse in time. Um, insecticides were running short and just, listening to guys talking about this coming year that seems like two that's going to be you know limited again so i think that's that's a fourth forethought on a lot of guys mind and i know as a <clears throat> the retail part where i'm at we a lot of that showed up late we peddled some off to the north so they had it but we kept quite a bit and we're trying to get them our bulk tanks filled as soon as we can to make sure we got our hands on it but if everybody's good with that just kind of piece i was thinking about you talking about major changes and they're not coming they're not happened yet but thinking about going into the fall with all the weed issues we had i've been focusing on doing some more fall burn down anyways but i think i'm gonna try my best to really push it this year because i could tell a big difference this year with it being so dry and the way it worked the guys who had been having a good herbicide program putting that fall residual out they didn't have near the issues the places where we hadn't had it yeah yeah I, so just something to keep us clean. Right. Right. And it helps take the stress off for some things like Scott was mentioned with the group 27s, Liberty in the spring. Um, if we're getting that fall burn down, primarily for corn specifically, we're going to be dealing with more seeds than we are oh. emerged weeds at that point. Yeah. I guess the one thing we just ran into as we were looking at some of these fields with, with the water hemp issues in corn, um, and, we're, and we're still... Like I say, still looking at that situation, trying to determine exactly what happened and, you know, just make sure that it's not a one-off. But in some cases, those those were fields that actually had had a good fall burndown. And, you know, there was even some thought that maybe some of the, the chemistry that was ALS in particular, you know, could have, could have contributed to, 
you know, affecting the plants. And, and I know it's been, been talked about before in the past with some other resistances, but almost just wonder if culturally that you, you had fields that were clean enough that, that in some instances you, you didn't need to rush with the, with the herbicide in the, in the spring for the, for the current crop in that case, corn. Um, so even, you know, we don't necessarily think of layering from, from fall to, uh, from fall to spring. But if you, if you do make it through and have a, have a really clean start, keep in mind, you, you still got to get those things laid on before those weeds start to, to germinate. Yeah. Cause it can, it can fool you. You're planting in a relatively clean, clean situation. The next thing you know, they, they've come through and now we're having to post them. Yeah. And got the same issues. Yeah. Cause when our falls pretty much just break, they break hard. Sure. Yep. <clears throat> yep. Shameless plug here, but I've got some pretty nice clean soybeans that uh, had a bunch of cereal rye laid on the ground out there. So y'all are sitting way too close to be talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying there, there's cultural considerations. Um, we mentioned canopy closure, timeliness. I mean, there's some timeliness. I mean, there is a lot of stuff that that goes into to keeping a clean field. Um, and most of it involves, you know, paying attention, um, doing the right thing at the right time. And, yeah. But you got to also take in consideration. There are different things you have to take into account where you can't just go out there and plant cereal right. Right. No, and, that's not what and, I'm saying. Yeah. I'm, I, but I'm saying that the extra canopy closure certainly helps. I mean, versus, versus a bare field until June 4th that you're trying to manage before you plant soybeans. You know, I mean, it's, that's night and day difference in the, in what you're, how much are you leaning on that chemistry before that walking stick breaks? Right. Residual is still part of your program in, yeah, in that? Absolutely. Yep. Now, now, was that when you terminated or did you come back later? Uh, that was in the term. Well, so uh, actually the termination pass was glyphosate only. And then we came back about a week later okay. with um, with something for the broad leaves and had a residual in the tank. Well, and not to give anybody any bright ideas and this, no pun in towards you but you probably had a pretty good herbicide plan before yes. you started with cover crops yes so don't think just because you got a big mess that cover crops are going no but uh, i think because that that happens a lot yeah adam and I, no, no i, I there, agree it's still it's still a it's a man not to get down a rabbit hole but no it's, it's fine it's still a management conundrum but uh but i i i firmly feel that it's a pretty darn good piece of the puzzle because if you're growing a plant that you want to grow you're then not growing a bunch of plants that you don't want to grow I mean, there is a, a gap to be filled there. And if you're filling it with something, 100%. then, you know, the, the bad guys aren't there. Yeah. All right. I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just wanted to make sure the listeners understand that there are main, you have to be ready to go down that path. You can't just plant cereal rye and no, expect hope for the best. There's and hope for that, the best. This yeah. podcast brought to you by cereal rye. There's no... <laughs> There's no golden keys, golden bullets, or anything like that uh, that exists uh, in the world today, especially in the world of production agriculture. I think we we all know that Shannon's favorite answer is it depends. So, right. Uh, I mean, it's just it's it's part of that, but it's all part of the puzzle. You know, it's a dynamic system. What did we What did we forget? What What from this year or something going into next year? You guys think is gonna uh, gonna come up or has came up or whatever that that I didn't ask you about that you were prepared for me to ask you about. One thought I just had when you were talking about changes being made last year and programs and everything, I was, and part of it was due to necessity, but people were pretty flexible this year. I mean, growers, you know, our locations, uh, you know, the 
sales folks. I mean, everybody just just did a great job of being flexible and, you know, it, what do we have? How can we make this work? And pretty open to, you know, maybe using some products that, you know, we, we hadn't been as familiar with in the past. And I just, I thought it was kind of from being on the outside of that, kind of watching it and, and like Shannon even talked about Jordan and, you know, those guys, DeMoss, you know, they, they said a lot of that and they set the stage for, you know, for those of us out in the country to take what they were able to procure and be successful with it. But, but it really took everybody from, you know, our, our folks and, and the growers we work with to be pretty open-minded as to, you know, this is what we got and this is how we can use it. And, yeah. And, uh, I just, I just thought people rolled with a pretty difficult situation pretty well. Well, we had a few things we hit along the way. Uh, do we want to hit anything again? Like we started with base fertility. Because even with the dry year we had, there were still some things to pick out over the year. Do we kind of need to... You're talking, Jesse. Oh, of course. I should have <laughs> known better than open my big mouth. <laughs> but I mean, and it, I guess where my biggest thing is when you watch guys who set it up right, planting conditions are right, when everything's right, even in a hot, dry year. Because, yeah... You get south of Benton, 95% of my stuff's irrigated, and everybody thinks you can make up for it. But Shannon led to it. When you have these 85-degree nights, I don't care what you do. You can't pump enough water to make up for that loss. Yeah, are we still cutting 220 bushel corn where he's cutting 140, 120, whatever? 60. 60. I'm just throwing numbers out. But, like, yeah, that makes a difference. But normally some of these fields are cutting 250, 260. So, like, we can draw that out like that. It affected it, but when you start right, you're going to end right. Mm-hmm. Now, you got to be flexible with what that ending number is. Yes, but what was done right was still always better, and that comes from base fertility, your herbicide programs, your planting, fungicide, just everything, and even down to Gramox. Not to get down route all again, but Gramoxone and beans being timely and not to get on a high yield kick. But there's a lot of things to this that. Yeah, that showed this year versus the guys who wasn't quite on the ball like they should have been. I I think the only thing that I'd probably oh Cameron's still here finish up. I know I've been <laughs> for a while. I was just watching the wait and hope that you guys fought over the cover crops and the cereal rice. But <laughs> we talk, you know, talking about fall fertility and going into the next year because you know we have had reduced yields and thinking about that. But I know. We've got a lot of acres that need to be resampled too when it comes to soil sampling and how where does that impact come when you're in your when you're coming out of a dry year and so you know one thing that i know i've talked with shannon and colin about is is there's no there's no magic formula for to just be able to go out and pull a powdery dry sample if the ground just hasn't seen anything and be able to take those numbers and add moisture back into it and get you where your base fertility your actually is and so we have to be conscious when we're moving into the next year especially on those when we need to pull new samples of making sure we're pulling proper samples so that we get good data moving forward. Because if we don't get good data moving forward for those guys, we're messing up a four-year program for them too. So we have to be, you know, when we come out of years like this, we have to be thinking that because we are affecting base fertility for quite a while, you know, the way our program's set up. So, Are you thinking about doing any nitrogen sampling? So... We, we've actually already tried to do some. It's hard to get a, a probe in the ground right now. Yeah. Um, so we were in a similar situation two years ago. Um, not so much as wide of a spread as a drought that we had this year, but two years ago, we our corn was 
greatly affected by a drought. We still had decent beans that year. Um, but we, we push a lot of side dressing and in, in our area. Um, and I think that kind of contributes to what our nitrate samples came out that year. Um, but two years ago when we, we, we did pull a lot of course and we were seeing upwards over a hundred, hundred units still, still, still in the soil. I've talked to, I've talked to a couple of guys that were able to pull some and they're, they're seeing high numbers again. Um, of course, I think that's all going to go back to how you managed your nitrogen because we were cool and wet early. Um, if you put on, you know, hundred percent of your nitrogen before the crop ever came up, there's a good chance you lost all that. But those guys that, that side dress treated that side dress application was able to get incorporated. I, I've got confidence. There's, there's high amount of nitrogen, especially in those, those fields that we, uh, that were poor corn that got harvested. Uh, we do have several fields that were chopped for silage. Um, I, I, those would probably be a little bit different. Um, but I've been talking with Cameron quite a bit on, on sampling this fall. We have quite a few acres that have been sitting there kind of fallow for a couple months now. And there's really nothing we can do to them because we're afraid we're afraid of messing up the next four years. Um, so looking specifically our wheat, and it's one of the that's, big, that's one of the big things while we're trying to get guys. I, don't, I mean, I, I know... Things are burning up. If all else fails, you can you can like graze it, graze it for uh, for some type of forage for cattle or bale it or something. And so a lot of guys are itching to get out to the field just to have something growing. Um, but with the whole herbicide carryover potential still being as warm as it is, um, if we do start getting some rain, we could really, if we're shooting for high managed wheat, we could really mess up our yield by getting too much fall growth. Um, so that's that's we're kind of playing that that balancing act between plant and date and how we're going to manage our nutrients going into the next year right now. It's definitely, it's a lot of, it's a lot of conversations being had and how to, how to handle, handle the situation we're in. I think it was after 2012, obviously that was the big drought year, but then we were pretty dry in 13 also. So I, I sometimes get some of the details confused, but there was a fair amount of wheat that followed the corn, corn. Generally we don't see a lot of wheat follow corn acres and, and, and now I'm talking back to 10 years ago. So I was really central to that Audrain County area back then. But we did the bioassay, you know, scattered some seed in the field, actually filled some, you know, little kitty litter pans with soil at the store where you could watch them and water them right and, and got some wheat growing that way. We're worried about, you know, atrazine in particular and, and, and like I say, the group 15s and everything. Never really had any issues with that, not advocating anything off label, but that wasn't, you know, we just ended up not seen a lot from that um but what we ended up with come spring was a lot of wheat went down because you went with kind of the normal um you know just kind of the normal nitrogen program and and there was there was a lot left over yeah um there was also and and i didn't see any did not see any that uh caused a major stand reduction but even some chemistry that you don't generally think of it as being an issue. I remember, uh, and, and I'll still stand to be corrected on this, but the best I could come up with from, actually there were some pictures that came from one of the universities up in Canada. I think we had some sulfentrazone carryover into some wheat. And uh, just won't go into the details of that, but just even some of the, you know, some of the other things that we use, uh, used in our beans, you know, showed up. Um, I had another thought on that and I just lost it, but um, the the one though that we did, and you, I think Cameron touched on it. Fomesvin was one that, following those that real dry situation, 
um, you know, so the so the reflex, the flex stars, prefix, um, even where we were all kinds of on label, you know, way outside of ten months, uh, we we still had some of those issues. Um, did not, you know, when it first started showing up, there was concern that it, you know a real disaster was 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 afoot, and you know, aside from you know, in the corners and those kind of things where you had double and tripling up and, and everything, um, and less and less point row shutoffs and that kind of thing back then too, um, did not turn into a major issue, but um, definitely was something that, that showed up following that situation. And we've got, you know, overall, I know it's not 2012, but there's some pockets where it looks a lot like 2012, you know, just the way it started and carried through the season. I talked to some guys earlier this week, and they, at this point in time, think it's a lot worse. Yeah. Then 2012, well, we haven't had rains. 2012, we had a hurricane blow through. We talked about that a while ago and pushed some rain through. There's some pretty good-sized ponds that are completely dry right now in southeast Kansas. To Cameron's point on the soil testing, and, and we ran into that in 12 and 13 also, um, the big one, I, would, I, I think we still, in a lot of ways, we're, we're going to need to pull samples. Absolutely. Um, but it's where just working with somebody that knows your – knows your numbers. You know, I had a couple guys in particular that, uh, you know, when their numbers started showing up, um, and in particular, we're talking at least what I ran into is potassium and, and some pH numbers. Um, I, I just knew they weren't right. I knew the programs. I knew what the numbers had been. And, you know, we, we pulled samples early because, because we could. And, um, and then went out and kind of did some spot check and resamples throughout the fall. And as we started getting some rain, you know, those numbers started coming back. And, you know, in one case in particular, I mean, we went out and resampled it again, like in February mm. and, and it was already, you know, it was back to where it, where it needed to be. Um, it's, it's, but this is where you're going to really want to talk to your local guy uh, because there again, I, this was very central Alderan County, um, clay-based soils. And the clay-based soils, in particular, when, when you get into that dry situation, that at a almost a particle level, you can have that, you know, those particles start collapsing around, and even inside the lab, they can't rehydrate them enough to to release the. That's why it was always kind of explained to me that you know you're actually talking nutrients getting right. getting trapped in there. So um, it's it's I would not by any means cancel my sampling programs and all that. I just I. I See what be, happens. I'd be aware of the situation, and and if one spot looks a little better than another spot, maybe you start there. You you kind of wait for that rain. Absolutely. If sampling has ever been important, obviously with with what we're dealing with right now, and still some of the pricing and everything, it's, it's sure it, it's as important now as it's ever been. So yeah, I'd, I'd still stay with that program. Anything else, guys? That we missed. Appreciate you guys coming in here and kicking her around. Definitely. On purpose, didn't give everybody a script today. So um, appreciate you guys um, hanging in there and just kind of sharing some of what you've seen this year, what you've dealt with, and thoughts for the future. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yep. Appreciate it. Thank yep. you. Sounds appreciate good. It. Sounds good. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks again. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa-inc.com.